Episode 34, Seconds from Death and Born Again. Day 91. The television fell from the wall, piercing the midnight silence as it shattered into a million little pieces. Dishes crashed. The entire three-story adobe house in which I'd rented a room shook violently. I tried to get out of bed, but it was impossible to stay on my feet in the pitching room. I crawled to the floor and made my way on hands and knees to a spot between two supporting pillars in the middle of the room. I was on the second floor. Getting down the spiral staircase was impossible due to the rolling floor. I was trapped inside. The shaking got worse, and I heard cracks ripping through the concrete walls upstairs. Loud as a freight train, the earthquake picked up speed. At the epicenter, just under 30 miles away, clashing tectonic plates ramped up to a magnitude 8.1. The house was old, and the notion that building codes or structural inspections applied in this tiny Mexican fishing village was laughable. The power grid went out, and the midnight darkness fell entirely into pitch blackness. The awful noise of everything breaking continued. At first, I was only a little scared. I had been through earthquakes before and was certain it would stop after a few seconds. It didn't. The floor pitched so violently that I could not stay in one place. I heard the masonry grinding upstairs, bricks coming loose. The earthquake roared on, gaining momentum rather than slowing, and seconds stretched into days. Eventually, I realized that this earthquake was the big one, and I knew I was going to die. I placed one hand on either pillar. Suddenly, I was five years old again in Mrs. Meyer's Sunday school class. I was wearing my blue cotton dress with the big white buttons and patent leather shoes over thick white tights, seated at a preschool height table in the basement of an old church building. I was coloring a picture of a Bible story. In the picture, a man with long hair and big muscles pushed against two pillars while the building around crashed. The story goes that God had given this man, Samson, Hulk-like strength. Samson used the strength to destroy members of the enemy tribe. The author worded the story like this. Then Samson reached out to the two central pillars that held up the building. He pushed against them, one with his right arm, the other with his left, saying, Let me die with the Philistines. Samson pushed hard with all his might. The building crashed on the tyrants and all of its people. And there I stood, in the adobe home, one hand on either pillar, surrounded by a deafening noise, certain that these were the final seconds of my life. The five-year-old within me had not a care in the world. She colored, contently, at peace. The scene played out like the climatic, slow-motion images from an action movie. Fire burns an entire city, skyscrapers collapse. In the middle of the apocalypse, there stands the hero, stoic and unmoving. In that moment, and complete acceptance of things I could not nor have ever been able to control. I was alive like never before. I am going to die.
And that is really okay. It's been a wonderful ride. I lived a full life. I'm happy to move on now. Goodbye struggle. Goodbye pain. Goodbye control. I have never known such serenity. And just like that, it was over. I later discovered that the third story was completely destroyed and that the entire building was moments from collapsing in on me. The morning brought several issues. First, I needed to call my mom ASAP. International news of an 8.1 earthquake with an epicenter just 30 miles from me would have certainly made its way back home. But there was no cell phone service in the fishing village. Second, we were under tsunami warning. Anyone in the village who had someplace else to go had already evacuated. Finally, there was no water in the village. The purification plant had been damaged. I remembered a place I had surfed with Diego maybe 20 miles away, with a high cliff to which you could drive. The cliff jutted out into the ocean and seemed like my best option for getting cell service, and it would provide higher ground for protection from the tsunami. The roads were filled with with boulders and nearly impassable, but staying in the village wasn't an option. Trying to navigate roads that largely had fallen into the sea took a couple of hours, but eventually I found the spot and I was able to get a text through to my petrified mother. With roads so dangerous and my rented home destroyed, I was completely stranded on the deserted cliff. The precipice overlooked a perfectly breaking right-hand point break with no one on it. Control? I couldn't care less. I had with me half a raw chicken on ice, purchased the previous day. It would go bad if I didn't cook and eat it soon. I had five gallons of water, a few tortillas, some leftover veggies, and a handful of fruits. I was completely unprepared for camping. There were no man-made structures, no houses, no restaurants, no nothing. I was on a deserted cliff at the edge of the sea. After a couple of hours on the cliff, I spotted two local fishermen coming in for the afternoon. I approached them to chat and offered to share my chicken with them. I was going to cook it on a stick over a fire since I had no dishes. The men agreed to help me cook and said they could track down some kitchen gear. One of them left, assuring me that he would return. An hour later, he emerged from the jungle, accompanied by three more hungry fishermen. They carried a big pot, some mismatched plastic bowls, two spoons, retrieved from their fishing shack two miles down the beach. With a huge smile, one man flashed at me with his missing teeth and said, Vamos a hacer un caldo de pollo, or we're going to make a chicken soup. He had a great, he made a great show of the announcement as if we were about to eat steak and lobster. I dug in the car, finding a coffee mug and a blender pitcher to add to the cookware. An hour later, we had all eaten until we were full, and there was enough left over for breakfast the next morning. I still have no idea how half a chicken fed six of us. I was reminded of another Sunday school Bible story coloring page on which Jesus, with the Pantene Pro-V hair, Clorox white robe, and blue satin sash, holds a small basket containing three fishes and a crust of bread. The story goes, Jesus used the food in the basket to feed 5,000 people, with 13 baskets of leftover food. 
Over the next several days, I discovered that I had guardian angels, ones who fished and conspicuously lacked many teeth. (laughs) I was completely out of food and water, but you'd have never known it. The fishermen brought me coconuts to drink, massive catfish they had speared, oysters the size of my hand, reptile eggs, and fresh octopus. They cooked something different for me every night, and there was always enough left over for a meal in the morning. They strung up a hammock 30 yards away from my spot, stationed at least one of their group to watch over me 24 hours a day to be sure I was safe. I was in heaven. I was sure of it. I surfed every day, alone but for the turtles. The surfing was super fun. It was consistently head high and offered rides up to 100 yards. At night, I'd never seen so many stars. In much of Mexico, the mountains drop sharply into the sea, making for waves much faster and heavier than found on the more shallow, gently sloping coastlines. The geography meant I was literally surrounded by mountains and ocean. For hours each night, I saw lightning strikes over the mountains, but no rain ever interrupted my sleep. In the ocean air, under numberless skies, surfing twice a day, I did yoga on the cliff and napped in the shade for 10 days. So close to nature, eating only natural foods, waking with the sun, having only the light of a fire at night, being in the ocean for hours, and having absolutely no control over anything. I have never felt so connected to a power greater than myself. One day, running on the empty beach, I heard someone call, Mela, my Mexican nickname. I stopped and turned, searching a full 360 degrees. There was no one, nothing for miles. But I heard what I heard. It wouldn't strike me until much later that I had undergone a time-tested awakening experience. Almost all spiritual traditions have a narrative in which the spiritual pilgrim journeys alone into the wilderness and there undergoes a profound spiritual encounter. I found something inside me had died and something new was growing in its place. To paraphrase Mark Twain, I was no longer afraid to die because I was no longer afraid to live. Eventually, my body had to return to civilization. I was covered in mosquito bites and had grown leg hair like a wolf. Every tiny scratch on my body was festering, infected with what would turn out to be staph. My flesh was being eaten away by salt water and sand fleas fed on my open wounds. I had been using a surfboard bag as a sleeping pad and a smaller board sock for a sleeping bag. The arrangement was less than ideal. I had been out of fresh water for days and drank only from coconuts. I had lost several pounds and was dying for some red meat. I needed medical attention and a bed. I hope you liked this episode. I have a lot more content on my website, 100daysinmexico.com. There's an insider section where I post, along with every episode, an insider's behind-the-scenes look at what else was going on. 
I also post premium content about my current travels, what's going on in my life right now. A lot of it's pretty honest, raw, and real. It's about the cost of a cup of coffee per month. So if you like my content, I hope you'll check it out. Until next time. Thank you.